Hello, hello, hello. I'm Matt Williamson. This is a Locked On NFL podcast. Unfortunately, we had some technical errors yesterday. Didn't have a show. I'll try to get you an extra one with some senior bowl coverage later in the week. But as usual on Wednesday, we have pro football focus. This is Mike Renner. How's it going, Mike? What's shaking? Going good. Uh, just still trying to process what happened on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I thought the Eagles had a chance. I picked the Vikings to win to cover the three-point spread, but barely thought it would be a defensive slugfest. Gave them the edge at the or gave the Vikings the edge at the quarterback position, but none of us saw that coming, right? Yeah, I mean, I thought they had a chance in the fact that they could run the ball well. Yeah, you know, maybe Nick Foles wouldn't commit turnovers, and then they'd win a low-scoring game. I did not think <laughs> Nick Foles would turn in, you know, one of the greatest playoff performances of all time. You know legitimately he he almost played like Wentz you know I mean the book on Foles is you want him to play late in the down you want him throwing deep he's not good at those things everything he does is a tick slow he looked like Wentz out there to some degree and that's the biggest compliment I could give anyone yeah he like the throwing the ball down the field was just he was money like he was hitting that throw to Torrey Smith was about as good as it gets on the flea flicker just making so many plays with his arm and not not making mistakes with the ball. It was literally almost a flawless, a near flawless performance from him. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I'm not sure if you know this. I'm kind of putting you on the spot. But according to Pro Football Focus, is that his best graded game ever? Yeah, that was. That was actually the second highest graded game of anyone this year. It was incredibly high. It was So it just beat out that seven touchdown uh, performance against the Raiders from back in the day. Wow, okay, because I was about to ask, which you answered for me, how does his uh, grades compare to Wentz's this year? You know, that game versus Wentz's best games. Yeah, that was considerably, so Wentz had had a handful of highly, but like not, none reached that stratosphere. I think he, wow. uh, Wentz maybe had one game around 90, uh, was his highest, and uh, Foles was like at a 95 for that one. So, I know you don't have this answer, no one has this answer, but do you think the biggest X factor in the Super Bowl is now the Eagles quarterback? Yes, I mean, legitimately, when you, so I went back and just, you know, looked through his career and some of the games he's played, the good and the bad, and, you know, that one year with the Eagles where he did go off, you know, 29 touchdowns, two picks, he had a handful of fantastic games, but he also had, you know, people forget in that year, he had a game against the Cowboys that was one of the lowest graded games uh, we've ever given a quarter. He was, I think he was 11 of 33 or something for 80 yards. It was just awful performance <laughs> in that one. Like, so he's a guy who's capable of these incredibly low, these terrible performances, even the Oakland game earlier this year, terribly, you know, just cannot move the ball whatsoever. But he's also had like four or five graded games throughout his career that have graded in the 90s for us. One of them, even with the Rams, that week one performance where he beat the Seahawks, you know, threw for almost 300 yards against them back, you know, in 2015 after they had gone to back-to-back Super Bowls when they're at full strength, that Seahawks defense. He lit them up. So, like, he's done – he's lit up good defenses before. I don't know how he does it, truthfully. Right. But <laughs> it's like I don't know how he's capable of that high a level of play and that low a level of play, but – he is, and it's a rare, like, it's something I've really never seen before. I mean, obviously, as you said, a very high-variance player. I mean, his lows are low, and his highs are higher now than we even thought. 
Um, going back to that, quote, career year with Chip Kelly, he was obviously an efficient player. But I'm pretty sure, and I didn't chart it, but I've read you guys and the people that do, and just watching the tape, it was obvious. He couldn't have been any luckier with turnover luck. No, yeah, incredible turnover with, you know, incredible turnover luck. Did not grade. It wasn't grading incredibly well. Uh, it wasn't, you know, anything special. The, the passer rating did not match his, you know, overall grade for the season, similar to someone like Jared Goff this year, who, you know, incredible passer rating. Grading was, you know, just slightly above average. So uh, he did have a lot of going from in that offense. But I think a lot of it comes down to comfort level for him. Like when he feels comfortable, when he's, you know, when he feels, you know, with like he's playing within the offense, he can execute, which I, I don't know how. Like, I, like, again, I don't know what to make of it. It could be anything. Anybody could show up, uh, you know, next Sunday uh, in the Super Bowl uh, just because we've seen him go from super highs to super lows. Do you, do you think the Vikings defense deserves a little bit of heat, though, too? I mean, going back to the end of the Saints game, it was probably their worst stretch of games for the season. Um, Xavier Rhodes missed time in this game. Harrison Smith didn't make a difference, and Deho was banged up. And the Vikes secondary looked like it got exposed a little bit. Not that I'm worried about it, but just had a bad day. No, I think they got very – I think they almost expected Nick Foles to be giving them opportunities to pick yeah. off passes. You saw guys jumping routes and then getting beaten down the field or, you know, going for the underneath stuff. You know, safeties, you know, squatting on uh, digs and stuff like that and then letting guys open deep. They were just – they thought Nick Foles was going to give them chances to make plays, and he didn't. And then the pass rush didn't get home, and then all of a sudden there were guys running wild down the field. Yeah, when I previewed the game last Friday, I did pick the Vikes, but the thing that really was the, the big obstacle for me to take in Minnesota was I do think playing in Philly is about as difficult as any place in the league right now, especially postseason. Those fans haven't had that luxury in a while. They're going crazy. But more so than that, a more tangible thing was that Vikes O-line against maybe the best defensive line in the league was a huge advantage for the Eagles that absolutely played out. I think I read one of your guys' stats where Keenum was under pressure almost 50% of his 50 dropbacks, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. And to take it a step further, well, just give, give me your thoughts on that. I mean, can they, how does that affect Brady? I mean, that Vikings O-line, I think, has problems. That has to be their offseason priority once again. Yeah, I think, but we even said it going into the game, like, everyone's like, oh, the Vikings O-line much improved. They really weren't that much improved from a season ago. It was only because they were so, so bad last year. They were I thought they were the worst in the league in 2016. Yeah, that so, was, that was right. they were so, so bad last year. But they were still you know, not even an average offensive line this year. It was still a fairly bad offensive line, yeah. especially with backup right tackle. And then they did get exposed. You know, the, the big plays, the forced fumble, the interception came because of the pressure. So I, I do think that is the thing that that's going to carry over to the Super Bowl, too. Patriots. Pages offensive line is good, but no one can stop that Philly front four. Best front four in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's even really close. They go four guys across who are just on any given play liable to win. So that's going to be a tough, probably the toughest matchup for Brady in terms of he's probably going to be under pressure a lot more than he's seen in any other game this year. Yeah, I tend to think so too. That they're, It's not like they have one stud. You know, Aaron Donald, we're going to put two guys on him, or Vaughn Miller. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're going to get you somewhere. People don't realize how good Vinnie Curry and Brandon Graham and even like Chris Long. I mean, the Patriots are probably aware of it. But, I mean, the guys that aren't even on the field, I mean, the depth is insane. 
they have all different types of like there's a, a baseball analogy. They're a pitcher with a lot of you know a lot of pitches in their in their toolbox too that they can throw at you. Yeah, like they can go from you know Timmy Jernigan, Fletcher Cox, uh, Brandon Graham, Finney Curry. That starting is great, but then you got a first rounder in Derek Barnett who can come in and mm-hmm. you know win, and then you have Chris Long. Also, you have six deep there of guys who are like plus pass rushers, guys who will come in and give you you know immediate pass rush. So uh, yeah, I, and Brandon Graham and Vinnie Curry definitely underrated in what they do. They're both those are both very good contracts. I think that the Philadelphia Eagles signed good value contracts, kind of uh, signed them both. Not really high sack guys, but both get pressure at really high rates in our system. Yeah, that adds up. And mm-hmm. the purist in me loves that the Eagles have stressed both lines of scrimmage and are winning because of it. Falls aside yesterday. Um, do you agree that that, I mean, I know this is right off the top of your head, but do you think that's the best O-line, D-line combination in the league? And clearly that's working when the weather hits and tough situations and against good defenses. And I mean, easier said than done, but what a way to build your team. Yeah, I think it definitely is. Uh, at full strength, they were, I mean, they were unbelievable with Jason Peters at left tackle. They were dominating people early in the season. Uh, even with Vitae in there, he's still a solid run blocker. Has his issues in pass pro, but uh, just with how good that D-line is. And then the interior of that, you know, Jason Kelsey and Brandon Brooks are, they're playing lights out football. Those are probably, arguably, you know, top three center and guards uh, in the NFL at the moment. And I thought Wisniewski coming back was helpful as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe Peters does return another year. Wouldn't shock me if they used the 31st or 32nd pick on an offensive tackle that's a, Massive developmental guy, just because I don't think they're going to get away from their strengths. Yeah, I mean, if you have that core in place that they do have on both sides of the ball, you like sort of like the uh, you know Cowboys offense line, you can just start making it make it stronger. Like <laughs> yeah. it only helps you uh, going forward. All right, another project you've been working on, and I don't want you to divulge anything if this isn't public knowledge yet, but. I guess you've been working on the Pro Football Focus awards section. And can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we're giving out awards to all this week uh, on our website to uh, best you know, breakout player, best coverage player, best run blocker, best uh, run stopper, you know, all these different uh, awards that aren't necessarily uh, you know, the traditional MVP and uh, you know, coach of the year, you know, aren't the traditional awards that you see given out, but you know, sort of specific uh, traits or just sort of specific areas in the NFL that we're giving out awards to every player. And we're we'll be sending uh, the guys who actually won them uh, trophies here throughout the week. Okay, very cool. I, I remember a couple of years ago, or maybe it was even last year or the year before, Luke Keekley won your, like, Bronco Nagurski Award or Coverage Award or whatever. Coverage Award, yeah, he won coverage. So it's not just, uh, it's not uh, limited to just, like, corners uh, for the Coverage Award. It's just anyone who plays in coverage, yeah. Okay. Can you bring up one of those areas and we'll discuss it and maybe you don't even have to tell me who wins, but maybe we'll just talk about, you know, a handful of candidates or something along those lines. Yeah. So the one that was interesting was to me was, well, we, this one, I guess, is, I think, a war, but breakout player of the year was a really highly contested one because you had a handful of good names and uh, Carson Wentz. Let me stop Jaylen you real Ramsey. quick. How do you define it? It's not the same as like comeback player of the year, right? I mean, you're talking about somebody no. that took a giant step in their career. Yes, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, the biggest leap forward in terms of, you know, performance year on year. Like Foles from 
last week to this week type of deal. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, yeah, that that's a breakout. So, Wentz, Goff. I mean, Goff seems like he would run away with it because he we was so bad We actually went with week. Demarcus Lawrence. Ah, the good winner one. Okay. Of that because – mainly because he came – he just hadn't shown any sort of that elite potential at any real point in his career. Like, he had – I think his five highest graded games in his career all came this year, which uh, like <laughs> you just hmm. for him not to have any sort of dominant, you know, single game and then have a handful all in one season. I mean, he picked a good time to do it with his contract being up. But yeah, he was our third highest graded edge defender this year from never really ever grading out above average prior to this. Yeah, he was awesome. And, and for people who don't know. You know, he came in the league with some question marks off the field, and there was obvious talent, and he was kind of a boomer bust prospect, and looked like bust until this year, and had back issues and injuries, and but did he have a suspension at one point too? I can't. Yeah, remember. he got suspended last year, first okay. four games. So he's had some hurdles, but it looks like he's put it all together. I would bet Rod Marinelli has a lot to do with that. Do you think it's a slam dunk that he gets franchised? Yeah, I don't see how you couldn't. And also, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he has to play a year under the franchise tag with the Cowboys or that they don't, you know, right, right, give right. him the money he's wanting to, you know, that he'll be asking for just because it is one year. You know, it, it, he, had, he did do it for one year, and he does have those issues. So prove it again, and I think he ends up getting a big deal. So your opinion, and not pro football focuses, um, if you had a vote for Defensive Player of the Year, to me, Aaron Donald is way better than everybody else. But I think I'm on an island there. I mean, I know you guys love him and you're grading, but I don't even know who's number two. I mean, I think he's like where Watt used to be in terms of who's the best defensive player in the league. But Cameron Jordan, Lawrence, Harris, or, you know, uh, what's his face? Harris Smith. Yeah, Harris Smith. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Harrison Smith has a strong, strong case. All those guys do, but to me, Donald's way better than all of them. Just a better football player. Yeah, it's if you go elsewhere other than Donald, you're probably overthinking it. It's his like his greatness almost gets, uh, you know, boring at some point because he's just been doing it for you know three years, three or four years now. Just been so dominant. It, it just on a per snap basis, he's just more impactful by far than any other, any other defensive lineman, you know, let alone defensive tackle. Uh, I think he led the NFL on pressures, which is almost unheard of for a guy who plays DT. So wow. yeah, he's, he's on, he's on Watt level where he used to be. You, you watch that playoff game against the Falcons and it was, right. it, it was the whole defensive line. You know, no one else is really getting pressure. It's just him <laughs> havoc every play. So yeah, he's, he's on a, like I said, another level that other guys aren't, reaching on the interior yeah 100 percent agree and one people i always one thing i always tell people to do is yes his highlight is sacks his trick tracking people down is really fun to watch and it's you know jaw dropping but more so than some defenders watch 60 plays in a row i mean there's no bad ones there's no taking plays off and that's every game i mean the play to play week to week consistency with donald is really rare yeah people wanted to you know, knock him in the draft process. Oh, what is he going to do as a run defender? How's he hold up against double teams? I mean, he holds up against double teams about as well as, you know, a lot of nose tackles. He's not getting rocked off the ball. He anchors down and it's hard to move a guy who's six feet tall. He just wins the leverage battle every single time. So yeah, I mean, you'll get moved off the line against double teams. Sometimes everyone does, you know, Damon Harrison does his best nose tackle in the NFL, but 
he's making plays against double teams still. He is not at all a liability in run defense. He was, I think, our highest graded run defender this year also among D tackles. Wow. I, I wouldn't have expected him to be number one, but he certainly is extremely powerful, great leverage player, fantastic with his hands, handles double teams. Um, Khalil Mack won the award last year for the NFL. I would have voted Donald, but, you know, defensive tackles have a tough time winning it. How you got to have a good team, too. It's yeah. Like it's sort of like the, the Heisman of defenders, usually. Yeah, you're right. But last question I have for you is two stalwarts over the last couple of years on that side of the ball. Khalil Mack, Vaughn Miller. I'm not saying they had down years, but how did they stack up with you guys compared to other edge defenders? Are they still cream of the crop? Yeah, they're still, I think, both top five uh, in terms of edge defenders. They weren't. Yeah, they were down years by their standards, which were because they've had years in the past where they were, you know, the top of the top, uh, you know, uh, much higher grading than they did this year. But like I said, they're still top five. They're still on a play-for-play basis as impactful as any other edge defender. So uh, it might just be because, you know, your team's going south like that. It's just hard to bring it every game when you're, you know, not really playing for much. Especially Denver. I mean – and no yeah. defense started. Yeah, with, being as good uh, as you had been, just right. to be that far down, you're just yeah. And, and no psychologically de- gets to you. I'm pretty sure no defense started with worse field position or was on the field more. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a long year if you if you're that Denver defense, and and even the Raider one too. You look around like we stink, you know. And uh, Leo <laughs> Mack, you know, like this secondary isn't any better. We have nothing invested in linebacker. What's going on here? Yeah, and, and also when you're you know not up at the end of games, your teams aren't passing on you in obvious passing right. situations. You're just not getting the opportunities to make impact plays there. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, this was a good quick show, Mike. I appreciate it as always. Great information. Maybe we'll talk some Super Bowl next week. Yep, sounds good, Matt. Have a good one. All right, bud. Take care.